0: No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com.
1: I don't think the university was super excited about this, but on a Sunday night, there was a group of students who somehow got into the room and got into the AV system and had a crazy raging party in that room. And Monday morning, I don't think it was very pretty, but how awesome that you want to, like you're in a classroom on a Sunday night and it's a room that you think is worthy to, you know, hang out in, to socialize in.
0: This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Cherise Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guest today is Amy Donahue, principal at Bora Architecture and Interiors in Portland, Oregon. Amy has over 25 years of experience designing spaces for education, collaborative work, and urban living. Her deep understanding of interdisciplinary environments has resulted in a sophisticated, award-winning body of work nationwide while her advocacy to use architecture as a force for good drives her mission to diversify the profession and right social inequities. The project we are going to talk about today is the Oregon State University Learning Innovation Center in Corvallis, Oregon. Go Beeves, My kid went to school there. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.arcat.com podcast. The OSU Learning Innovation Center, or LINC, stands as a harmonious blend of tradition and innovation, thoughtfully nestled at the heart of the Oregon State University campus. Uniquely positioned as the sole university in Oregon to claim a portion of its grounds within a National Historic District, Listed proudly on the National Register of Historic Places, Link pays homage to its historic surroundings while boldly embracing the future. Around a decade ago, higher education institutions, including OSU, began to grapple with the challenge of teaching large classes of freshmen and sophomores effectively. The economic realities of higher education demanded that these institutions accommodate hundreds of students in introductory courses, making it difficult to ensure active and engaging learning experiences for all. To address this issue, OSU embarked on a journey to make learning more active and engaging. The 126,000 square foot OSU Learning Innovation Center, or LINK, completed in 2015, was a groundbreaking initiative that sought to revolutionize the way universities engage students in their learning process.
1: The Learning Innovation Center at OSU, I think, was the beginning of a trend, you know, about a decade ago, where universities were starting to see, it was hard to engage students. You know, the economics of higher education is that you have to, especially in the undergraduate kind of freshman and sophomore courses, all those intro courses, you have to have large classes. You can't teach them to 50 kids at a time. And so all of a sudden, a 600-person class becomes pretty common, But it's very, very difficult to teach that in a way that engages with students. So, you know, what they did at OSU, what we did at OSU, and I think what other universities are also looking at doing is just making learning more active. And it actually, probably 20 years ago now, a classroom called the Scale-Up Classroom, which was developed at NC State by a physics professor, really kicked the door open to active learning, I think, in a big way. So that was 72 seats. Eight tables of nine students, and the teacher could gather them all together for one discussion or break them into groups of nine or into groups of three. And that was pretty radical. And I think that idea of active learning then has grown to other formats and configurations in classrooms, but also into different sizes. So the whole idea is just to really improve learning outcomes, get those younger students, especially, through those early days of their university time. And who knows, maybe maybe Chem 101 will turn someone into a chemist if it's engaging
0: enough instead of someone falling asleep at the back of the classroom. Another element that would inspire a radical approach to classroom design is the number of distractions that students have at their fingertips today. I think a lot of the observation
1: that we have done in classrooms that are more typical, you know, we often call them the sage on stage where the professor is way up at the front and the students are 100 feet away from them we definitely when you get into the back rows and look behind those students they're shopping on amazon or playing some game online or you know and it's not because they're not i mean these are very intelligent students right they deserve engaged learning it was up to the departments for a long time to create their own active learning classrooms and i think now universities are saying we need to do that in a much broader way across all of the departments and at much younger levels
0: as students are coming into the university. Bora was challenged to produce big lecture halls that could create learning outcomes like smaller and more intimate classrooms. So it was two issues that were really involved in this. One was just a quantitative
1: issue. You know, I talked earlier about the economics of teaching at a large state university. And OSU has certainly seen a tremendous amount of growth over the last decade. And so to meet the challenges of educating those large classes coming in, they really needed more space. Their utilization for classrooms was 95%. They were teaching classes early in the morning and late at night, which again is not a recipe for student engagement. You know, if you have calculus at 7.30 a.m., you might not do as well. I had calculus at 7.30 a.m. and I can tell you I didn't do as well. So they needed more flexibility. I think when you're also at 95% utilization, it's challenging to add new coursework into the schedule. So they really wanted to have, they actually were looking to increase their general purpose classroom headcount by 25%. So they needed about 2,500 new general assignment seats. And so the registrar was really responsible for looking across the schedule and saying, okay, we need a 600 seat, a 400 seat, a 200 seat. You know, he gave this whole spread of classrooms, and they really ranged from about 60 people to 600. So that was on the quantitative side. I think the qualitative side, the vice provost for academic affairs, Rebecca Warner, amazing thinker in terms of pedagogy and and space, she said, you know what, that's fine. We can teach at those sizes and and we can build those spaces, but they cannot look like what they look like today. We have to make something different so that our students have a more engaged experience because from her end, she was seeing graduation and retention rates, some, you know, not significantly lower, but most definitely lower than what their peers in the university world were, were sort of seeing. So they were looking to these classrooms to really begin to boost retention rates for undergraduates, to boost overall graduation rates. You know, the more engaged you can make learning in the beginning, the more successful the student will be as they move through their education. So it was really both of those. It was this quantitative need, you know, we've got to have more seats and more space, but we also have to have just a better quality and engaged education for our students. And they really picked up that mantle. I mean, I have to say, OSU put put their money behind their ideas. They really have invested heavily in this building. The Learning Innovation Center are not only a whole host of new classrooms, but Rebecca Warner was able to get funding to create an instructional learning resource center, which is a faculty resource with professionals who, it's actually the Center for Teaching Excellence, professionals who help them to transition their coursework into these new spaces and to make the classes that much more engaging. So it wasn't just here are all these new classrooms. We're going to toss you in and you can figure it out. They really backed it up with some additional training and support for the faculty as well.
0: With a supportive client and the inspiration of the quote unquote scale up classroom, and active learning concepts, Bora engaged Adam Shallock, Principal and President at the Shallock Collaborative, a firm that offers comprehensive consulting services in the planning and design of facilities for the performing arts, assembly spaces of all types, and large format teaching places, including related theater production and AV systems.
2: Bora called me and they said, you know, we have a sense that maybe we want to sort of think hard about the building in regard to how teaching might evolve. And we might also want to sort of leverage our ideas and experience about what makes great theaters, which are assembly spaces for storytelling, uh, and sort of apply that, see how it can apply to, to large format teaching spaces. And I thought that was a great idea. So we were awarded the project on that premise, and two other things sort of aligned to get really interesting really fast yes indeed that the university was in fact thinking of and studying how teaching should evolve and their conclusion was that it as it was generally around that the students should be more engaged we're not going to just be sage on stage and push out information so that they take notes and take tests we we want the conversation to be sort of bi-directional multi-directional and also the digital revolution had allowed us to be a little more facile with how we could share large format images so the teaching side of putting up a slide was now more flexible and not just one projector in the back of the room and one big image we could we could have multiple images and all that was easier to do and accessible to us financially so those three things sort of conspired to get this off on a really interesting track from the beginning.
0: Upending traditional learning environments, the design team championed active, engaged learning spaces. One concept that materialized was an in-the-round lecture hall design. We always think of education as being about this exchange of
1: information. In fact, we'll often show a photo of a campfire, sitting around a campfire, sharing stories, sharing knowledge. And then if you look at classrooms, I mean, I was certainly educated in many classrooms where it was tablet armchairs that were fixed in rows that looked in one direction. I looked at the back of someone's head right in front of me. And then my teacher was way up at the wall with one whiteboard or, you know, actually at the time it was a blackboard, but, you know, one writing surface up at the front and maybe a projector. But I was never in conversation with my classmates. There wasn't really space to break out and have small groups. And, you know, I was a good student, so it worked. But I think there are a lot of kids who really were not successful in environments like that. So when we started the design of these larger classrooms, in particular the biggest ones, so, you know, OSU was looking for that 600 and 300, we first wanted to step outside of traditional academia. You know, sometimes the precedents can really limit you in terms of what you can imagine in the future. And so we started to look at different models like government models. You know, there are certain parliamentary configurations where they really, you know, the, the audience or the assembly members really wrap their way around the central dais. Or somebody, actually Adam Shalek, who we work with all the time from the Shalek Collaborative Theater Planner. We were in a room one day and he said, well, what about what about Phil Donahue's studio? Do you remember Phil Donahue? And he said, you know, he was always in the middle and his audience was around him and he moved through the audience and asked questions. And so we drew this crazy diagram of a room in the round with the teacher in the middle and a whole series of screens out at the perimeter that people could see from any direction. And all of a sudden being able to not only see your professor, because it actually took, whoa, you know, sage on stage In a 600-seat room, you're either in a balcony or you're about 18 to 20 rows back. In the round room, you're never more than eight rows from your professor. So it sort of collapses people to the center. But it also, and maybe more importantly, meant that students saw each other. So across the way, you know, through your professor, you could sort of see your colleagues in the class. And we've actually heard from a number of different faculty that as they're walking around, if someone behind them asks the question, a student on the other side will say, oh, there's a question over there. You know, So everybody is engaging in different ways. So I think the round room probably in the most, and we have a round room at 600 and at 300, and they both feel incredibly intimate. But I think the round rooms are probably the most novel spaces that we have in here. And thankfully, the most oversubscribed. I think the faculty at OSU Really love teaching in those spaces because they can they can get out into the audience and talk to their students. They can see each other. You know, there's actually a the study of proxemics says that if if I'm within 15 feet of you, I'm in your zone. You cannot ignore me. So you know, if I'm 18 rows away from you, I can probably ignore you pretty easily. But if I'm the faculty member and I can kind of get out into that audience and get into your zone you're going to pay attention. It's sort of amazing. Faculty really take advantage of that. There's actually Erica Wokel, who is a professor of kinesiology at OSU, trained as a dancer. She will make a full figure eight loop all the way
0: around that room. She moves constantly. And I think that activity keeps students engaged as well. As part of the design process, the design team engaged the faculty to understand the functional needs in conjunction with the progressive concept.
2: There were some faculty that said, look, I need to just write out on a blackboard stuff. And that's how we teach fill in the blank of of what discipline we're talking about. You know, chemistry professor and, and who wanted to derive and draw and diagram things and make it big as opposed to doing it small and projecting everywhere that was just a stylistic thing so we did have to find a balance unfortunately the project was sort of structured for success where there was the need for a a whole bunch of auditoria so the challenge was to find the right formats of different rooms to suit the different teaching styles we had the ability and the nature of the project i think it was about 10 different kinds of rooms to be able to sort of pick and choose different things and then right-size them. Okay, this is a style for this size, and this is a style for this size. And that took a little bit of sort of puzzle making and testing, but it all, it all came together ultimately.
0: The faculty
1: were big-time co-creators of this whole new room. When we began the process, we were hosting these pedagogy shreds, and we asked them, okay, let's not think about what the room looks like, but what's the relationship that you want to have with your students in this class And it was really their their sense of being connected, making eye contact, being able to get out into the middle that drove these classrooms, these ideas. And then all of the full-scale mock-ups that we did, she took Memorial Union Ballroom and John Dorbolo, who's the director of technology across the curriculum, really fantastic, incredible activator for this project. He laid out all these tables and chairs that would be in the round. And he put a podium in the middle and he had the instructors come and give these micro lectures and people who had been really skeptical of the idea all of a sudden were hooked. You know, they could see the power of it. But we checked in with the faculty often to as the rooms advanced in design. And I have to say, every time we would be getting off of I-5 and getting off at the OSU exit, I would I think to myself, OK, the, today's the day, Like the room's going to die. There's no way, there's no way this can keep going. And, you know, OSU is just, they are really, I think they're really out there. They were willing to take a chance and, you know, with the right research and testing, you know, again, that engineering mentality, like they went for it. And
0: I think they have shown some tremendous leadership in the world of higher education because of it. The progressive in the round lecture hall design required some future proofing, which presented unique design challenges. I mentioned earlier about the
1: 600 seats and, you know, typically in a stage on stage, you have a balcony. So you have a a main floor that's down at the level with stage, and then you have more seats up above. And that is not only expensive to build, but very challenging to adapt because once you have poured that giant concrete balcony up above the, you know, what we would call in a performance space, the orchestra level. You're not really going to do anything else to it in the future, other than spend a lot of money to demolish it. So we, for these 600 seat rooms, partially because we wanted it to be flexible for the long term, but also, you know, OSU was really brave to do these rooms. They believed deeply in the concept, and we did full scale mockups so that the faculty could try it, and we we did all kinds of things to really make sure that this was the room that they needed. But they also knew in 10 or 15 or 20 plus years, maybe this room wasn't going to be what they needed. And so another benefit of collapsing the audience around the instructor is that we could do very, very low slope floors that had, we sort of built up risers where we were able to distribute the air under floor, kind of under the seats, just based on the volume in the room. But what that also does is in the future, you can come in and pretty easily, probably over a summer, make that room flat floor and, you know, bifurcated in any number of different ways. It could be four 100 seat classrooms. It could be six, you know, you you name it, you could divide it in different ways. But I think just the idea that future proofing a little bit, both in terms because we know pedagogy will change, but also It was a little bit of insurance for OSU that, you know, if this, for all of its best intentions, if this doesn't work out, we have a backup plan. So I think, you know, making that architecture much more flexible and not investing in lots of heavy concrete, which for many reasons is a good idea, that was really, really helpful in the long run.
0: With the primary objective established, let's briefly step out to highlight the exterior features. From the beautiful yet modest exterior, one would not expect the radical approach to design that is occurring within. The 126,000 square foot, four-story, and traditionally rectangular building boasts a richly textured red brick facade that seamlessly weaves itself into the campus's existing color and material palette. The steady rhythm of expansive vertical windows transforms the facade into a living canvas. An exhibit of inviting, vibrant spaces dedicated to informal study and social interaction are on display. From a technical standpoint, the facade also serves as a robust and efficient envelope.
1: The overall design intent, we had a a very, very innovative modern interior, right? These classrooms that had never been done before. But the OSU campus itself is an historic district, the whole part of it. And it is, is regulated by the Historic Review Commission and the Department of Interior. And it's a, an historic campus. And they really want to preserve the feeling and the texture and the colors and things like that on campus. So it is brick. It's red brick. We tried to make it a very simple, almost like a veil or a, a cover that would kind of slid over all these different forms that were on the interior. With a very regular pattern of fenestration windows, and tried to do some undulation within the facade to make smaller spaces on the inside where you could peel off, you know, two by two or on your own, and you could have a small writing space or a little nook of informal space or, you know, a whole host of different activities. But to make spaces that were just a little bit scaled down from this big circulation loop. So it is, it's is—it's a rain screen system, you know, pretty robust. We always do the blower door tests. We, we're sort of very, very consistent in trying to make sure that it's very low infiltration. And we invest a lot, I would say, in the envelope. In this one, we have actuated windows. So we do some night flushing. And from a texture standpoint, we have a whole series of ridges on the exterior that really more from a kind of a visual standpoint play out the density of people in the building as it dissipates toward the top. So it's a pretty robust, I think both visually as well as actual sort of assembly of that. It's all tube steel sort of behind it. So it's it's really, it has a, a great deal of structural girth. It's not going anywhere. I think the permanence that OSU wants their buildings to convey is certainly there. And from an energy standpoint, the quality of the wall and the envelope is such that it serves them pretty well. And the thermal comfort range and the circulation and the classrooms all have a unique relationship in this building that also factored in.
0: While OSU did not pursue LEED certified, the design goals were in line with LEED standards. On an equivalent basis, it would have at least been LEED gold, but the university was not
1: interested in certifying or, or tracking in that way. So You know, we did try to bake things into the design in terms of reducing energy, like, you know, reducing and and eliminating the heating system and having actuators on the windows. So we would do a night flush, the expanded thermal comfort range, you know, nice tight envelope. Healthy materials is something that we are very serious about here at Bora. Just, you know, the joke is, can you eat it? I mean, not everything, but you know what I mean? Like, how healthy is this material just uh, really reducing any sort of off-gassing or, that you walk in and it's a healthy building to support learning
0: link is not just a building it's a unique balance between the university's commitment to preserving its heritage while propelling the pursuit of knowledge ever forward back inside engaging spaces fill out the program including a featured stair that forms a dynamic and welcoming circulation loop Each classroom was really
1: assigned a color. So, you know, we we did hear often like, well, sometimes furniture will migrate between rooms and you end up with, you know, 65 seats in one room and 55 seats in another. And so we assigned every room a color. So the furniture was upholstered in that color. The exterior doors were painted that color. We had an image that we actually, we borrowed a whole series of really beautiful images from the various colleges and subject areas that are taught at the university and abstracted those at the entries of each classroom. So color was definitely something that we were trying to use to both to organize, but also to attract people to that. The circulation in the building is, you know, first the color was used again for the big stairs that traverse floors because the volume of these rooms the, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, for, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. So, we had some pretty epic stairs and we wondered would students climb 30 feet to the second floor and then another 24 feet to the third floor on a stair, or would we have a pile up at the elevator? And to make the stairs as attractive as we could, first, we made them very, very wide given the number of people that were going to be coming and going in pretty compressed amounts of time. But we also made them these shocking intense colors. So just trying to attract people to take the stair. From what I understand too, the track team I think now does, they train on those stairs on occasions, they'll sort of do the runs of of stairs. But the stair that you are referring to was part of a, a whole wrapper of informal space that we placed around the classrooms which actually was just as important as the formal learning classrooms themselves to OSU. They really wanted more spaces like that for students to be able to land in as individuals in small groups. But in this case for the floating stair, they wanted a space where students could give perhaps less formal presentations or, you know, the honors colleges in this building and at the end of their undergraduate degrees, they have to give a thesis presentation. And so they thought of it as a place of even practicing your thesis presentation in front of a more public audience. So I think students hang out there. I know there's one biology professor who, she leaves her class in the round, 600 students. And she says, I'm headed up to the stair. If anybody has any questions, follow me. And it's it's a less formal way to talk about some of the content in the class. So it's a It's a space that can be used informally, but you can also you know, gather around and use it in a slightly more formal way as well. That was a breakthrough, I would say, in a lot of different ways for the project. The classrooms themselves, you know, when you have a round classroom, uh, circles are hard because if you don't make them symmetrical, you bias the room. Right. So if only one side has daylight, then everybody in the room is going to turn and track that way. Maybe the professor is going to sort of end up focusing mostly on that part of the audience. So, we tried to make all of these rooms symmetrical, which meant having four exits out of each room on each floor. And so, the idea that you weren't just coming out of the room in one direction into the circulation, but you were really moving out in all directions. So, we wrapped the classrooms with a blanket, as we call it, of informal space. So, you could leave in any direction and land in a smaller space where you could continue the conversation in class. And the beauty of the diagram was that it actually, because we'd wrapped the classrooms in this blanket, literally, we could eliminate heating from the classrooms because they never touched the exterior. They had a blanket of air around them. So we were able to eliminate an entire system from the building and then the loop itself, which is all informal space and not scheduled, OSU was willing to move in the direction of an expanded thermal comfort range. So they added, you know, two to three degrees on to the lower threshold and two or three degrees higher. So all of a sudden the energy used to cool and heat those spaces was greatly reduced. And their idea was, you know, the whole idea was that if you're on the south side and it's hot, you're not scheduled to be in this informal space, go to the north side. And there are about 640 informal seats that are in the building. So a good number of people can be in the building in addition to the 2,500 classroom seats. So it was part mechanical solution, part just managing this flow of thousands of people in a class change and part creating informal space
0: that this all came to be. Now, when it comes to the execution, construction is where we learn our lessons. The in the round lecture hall has an impressive raised screen that wraps around the space. Providing a clear view to all students in attendance. That is one element that required a pivot during construction. The screen that wraps around that continuous screen in the 600
1: seat room. Actually, a young architect here had found this really interesting company in upstate New York that made a stretchable fabric that could stretch and you know over a frame in multiple directions. And we did a, a, sh- a small mock up, and it looked like it was going to work. So we bid the documents that way, and we moved it to construction, and then. We started to install it in its full-scale application, and we were getting puckers, so it wasn't working. So we had to pivot and go to a framed jibboard wall with, I don't know if this is a technical term, but this is what Ian uh, at the Charlotte Collaborative always called it. It's this goo paint, and it is a highly, a more reflective paint that enables a hard surface to be a projection screen. So that is the final. That's what the final is. It's actually a hard wall, you know, metal stud framed wall with chipboard and goo, but it works. But I think, you know, sometimes I would say that probably was the, that would have been a tried and true response, but we were a bit in the mode of everything is new in this space and we are going to just push the envelope. And I think the fabric Pushed it a little too far, so that was a change in construction. The other thing that I just found fascinating because I hadn't necessarily worked on a site like this, but this portion of OSU's campus has liquefiable soils. So this building actually sits on six hundred stone columns that are built to stabilize the building in a seismic event. When the you know liquefiable soil, you know that it sort of just rushes out from underneath building so to stabilize it they we, we spent a lot of money and many months fortis construction did a great job on this project but they put in they installed 600 of these stone columns under the building which is kind of hard to imagine so that was just more of a. I mean we knew we had to do that although you never really know until you get down there how many i think you have to do but that was just an interesting thing for me that was the first time i had
0: experienced I had to do anything like that on a project The Learning Innovation Center at OSU is a testament to the university's commitment to improving the quality of education. By creating innovative and engaging learning spaces, they aim to equip students with the knowledge and skills they need to succeed in their academic journeys. Of the entire program, the round rooms were a hit among both faculty and students alike. The other thing that happens
1: is that students bring their parents on parents weekend. They bring their parents to see these classrooms. And that is not, something. I mean, I, when you think about parents weekend, you're thinking, Oh, you go see the student union and you see the stadium and you go to the quad and maybe the library. But rarely I think do students take their parents to go see a classroom. So this is a real, this is a real stop on the tour now. And actually the best story is I don't think the university was super excited about this, but on a Sunday night, there was a group of students who somehow got into the room and got into the AV system and had a crazy raging party in that room. And Monday morning, I don't think it was very pretty, but how awesome that you want to, you, like you're in a classroom on a Sunday night and it's a room that you think is worthy to, you know, hang out in, to socialize in.
0: The Learning Innovation Center's combination of thoughtful design, technology, and a commitment to active learning makes this center a model for universities looking to enhance the educational experience for their students. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guest about the greater industry. With Amy's mission to diversify the profession and right social inequities, I was curious what the architecture profession could do better to be more socially equitable.
1: So I think we could be working with our users and our community voices much more than we do today and listening to them in a genuine way where the approach is more of a co-creation. You know, I have a lived experience that is my own expertise, but someone of a different demographic or a different race or a different gender or a different education background has a totally different lived experience. And, you know, we just finished a project for Portland Community College. It's their Opportunity Workforce Training Center. And many of the people who go to this building are on TANF benefits. So they are coming to this building to get training, to move into jobs and really sort of stabilize their family life. Sometimes that doesn't always happen and they lose benefits. So the staff and the clients that are going to this building are traumatized in many ways because there are some really tough things happening in their life. And so we met with the community and with those clients and staff, not just at the beginning of the project, but we what we always say is we kind of wrap that engagement all the way around the project so that as we get to new levels of detail and have new questions, we can constantly be having that design conversation that isn't an echo chamber between the architects, engineers, and design facilities and construction staff on campus. And PCC has been amazing in pushing that kind of engagement. And the building now, I think, is just a really welcoming and, you know, place where you can come and, you know take a breath and move into the building and it's not a mean punishing space that you feel like you're just a number you know it it really and all much of that grew out of this sense of design justice which is what we refer to it as which is this process of of really putting stock and value into that lived experience and thinking about design as addressing you know many of those issues and not assuming i think for a long time architects assumed that well we have nothing to do with making space inclusive or exclusive. We just design it and then, you know, it takes care of itself. And I think that's not true. You know, when you, when you listen to communities of color in particular, the way that they experience space is very different. And as designers, we can address some of that and make people feel much more welcome and more engaged. I mean, getting back to the sort of the engaged learning, right. It's not even just in learning spaces, but so I think architecture could step outside of feeling like it always has all the best ideas, and instead really sort of turn that creativity to translating you know, some ideas that, that others at the table have and expanding the voices that are at the table
0: as well. I really enjoyed this conversation with Amy about this incredible building on what I happen to know personally is a beautiful university campus. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. So I think it would go back to changing
1: the profession to think more about approaching projects through the lens of design justice, like really to accept our responsibility to be a force for good. I mean, I have to say, I think we do not have a lot of people of color in our industry because architecture has not historically been a force for good in communities of color, right? So why would, why would someone become an architect if it, you know, doctors are a force for good, teachers are a force for good, right? Those are, I would want to be that if I grew up in a community like that. But, but architecture hasn't always been positive. It's been sort of, you know, black cape, very ego driven, you know, my my architectural agenda is gonna get laid on this site and you're going to love it. You know, I worked for an architect like that when I first got out of school and it was beautiful buildings, but as objects, not as places that humans really thrive. So I think I would love to leave my mark on this profession and really shake up the thought that we have all the creative capital, you know, that that just just being more open and truly comes down to being more creative if you're creative you can you can listen to all these different ideas and lived experiences and come up with something that not even you ever imagined
0: thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos details and more related project and product information that we discussed today while you're there take a look around rcat.com for over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.